Hey everyone, before we begin this week's episode, I'd like to ask you a shameless favor. If you could take a minute to rate the podcast five stars and leave a review, it would really help us get the word out about the podcast and help others find it. We'd also like to invite you to join the conversation. If you have a topic that you'd like us to cover, simply record yourself presenting the topic that you think needs to be delved into and email the recording to jewishlivingpodcast at gmail.com and we'll do our best to make it happen. Maybe you can be featured on an upcoming episode. Now, on with the show. The Queen's Jewish Link presents the Jewish Living Podcast, the show that examines the many facets of Orthodox Jewish life. Here's your host, Izzo Zwerin. How many of us have imagined ourselves as a writer? The ability to support yourself by writing books for a living is something many hope for, but only a few attain. It's extremely difficult to get just one book published. But today on the Jewish Living Podcast, we talk to someone who has accomplished that feat. My name is Josh Levy, and I am mostly a lawyer, but I also write children's books when I can. We will discuss many areas of writing with Josh, including his journey to being published, what it's like to be a from fantasy writer in today's publishing world, and his take on many well-known and lesser-known works of literature. Oh, and apologies in advance if we nerd out a little. So, Josh, thank you for joining us. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and what you're doing now? Sure. I am from Florida originally. I went to, um, well, I went to OJ with you after <laughs> high school and then to YU. I, I dabbled a bit in a master's in education for Israeli, smicha um, at YU, and I also taught middle school for a bit. Ultimately, it was not for me that particular career path. Um, I went to law school. I clerked for a judge. I'm a, I'm a lawyer now. But also one of my personal passions is writing and, and fiction. That's something I've always wanted to do. And my first novel came out in March. And I'm, I'm super excited about it. And I'm, I'm delighted to be able to tell stories for kids, which is also something I, I really want to do. So how did you get into writing? I know you said that you were that you were always kind of interested in it or were always interested sure. in it. And specifically children's writing, because... You mentioned that you were in another life a teacher. Uh, I yeah. also actually happen to have been in another life a teacher, but okay. I didn't go into writing because of that. So I'm wondering if that had a little bit of uh, influence on it. I don't think that being a teacher made me want to write. I I've always wanted to write fiction. Um, if you if you cracked open my book and got to the acknowledgments, I start off by explaining that the first book I ever wrote was in fifth grade. I hand wrote on on loose leaf paper. What, what in my mind was, was my greatest achievement, which was the novelization of the Super Nintendo game, uh, Death and Return of Superman. And I, I don't think this level of details in the acknowledgments. I, I remember being on the bus going home from, and I was in fifth grade Hebrew Academy of Margate, which is like a, a Chabad school in South Florida. And, and the kid sitting next to me who was in eighth grade revealed to me that, in fact, the Super Nintendo game Death and Return of Superman was already, I think it was the best-selling graphic novel of all time and it was already a novelization about it so i was devastated um and i never stopped trying to get through the the doors um i wrote a, a number of manuscripts in, in my various professional iterations 
I did get the idea for this book, the specific substance of it while I was teaching. Took me a while to write, took me a while to get a literary agent, took her a while to sell. It sold in 2017 for a 2019 release. So, you know, it, it's not a short road. Uh, so we'll get into the uh, the whole concept behind this particular book, which I happen to love, and I'm holding a copy right here for those listening. Okay. So let's talk about, because this is, after all, the Jewish Living podcast, and it's yeah. about being an Orthodox Jew in today's society. So okay. what has your experience been like being from in the publishing world? Are there events that become a little awkward? Have people been understanding? I happened to do a little bit after your book came out. I did a little bit of uh, Facebook stalking. And sure. I, I happened to see that a lot of your book signings, you're also wearing a baseball cap. Yeah. And I was wondering if that was part of it also. So if you could talk about all those things. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll tell you, if there's any discomfort, it's in my head. It doesn't mean, as Dumbledore tells Harry Potter and King's Cross, that doesn't mean it's not real. <laughs> but, but, but it's, but it's, it's, I think it's in my head. And here's what I mean by that. I have never felt discriminated against or marginalized as, as a result of what I think everybody who knows me well knows that I'm a part of, of this community. And so, so that, that ha that comes with certain, you know, food and, and Saturday related restrictions, but in full disclosure, um, I, I do not wear my yarmulke in professional settings. But, and by that, I mean, I don't wear my yarmulke um, at, at the office when as I'm a lawyer, lawyer as right. a lawyer. And I, I actually I, I wear I wore a yarmulke when I was in law school um, at the beginning. I, I, I changed my habit halfway through law school for for I mean, reasons I, I could speak to. I don't wear my yarmulke at the office. But it's not as if everybody doesn't know that if it's Friday in January, I'm leaving at, at three. But if it's Friday in, in August, oh, you know, Josh is still here. Right. Uh, so to, the people that know me know who I am. And I would say the same thing about the book world. The, the book world, though, because, it, it, you know, I, and I now I'm speaking a little inartfully. So in my professional world as a lawyer, I don't have my amica on. In my personal world, if you catch me in Teaneck, it's on. And so in, in my brain, again, this is this is my own head. The, <laughs> my book aspirations are this are this blend of the personal and the professional. It's I certainly have professional type aspirations with respect to writing, but it, but it is this thing that means so much to me personally. And so, OK, so so what do I do? Am I going to put on my yarmulke or am I not going to wear it? You know, I've. I'm not yet sure I, I totally have come to terms with what my persona is in that world. Sometimes I've worn it. Sometimes I haven't. Sometimes I've worn a baseball cap. Um, when, you know, when I'm at events that I know are going to be populated by people in both worlds, I wear a baseball cap because I don't, I, like, I don't want there to be questions from the people that I work with that don't know me well. And I don't want there to be questions from the people who know me well in my personal life, but I don't work with. And so it's this mess that is probably as like a Jewish lawyer who lives in Teaneck, New Jersey, to like it, it's totally um, unnecessary, probably. <laughs> but but we all have our neuroses. And so I'm still working through how to present myself, um, I guess, maybe in all in all arenas. But yeah, you know, I've, I've deliberately worn a hat to certain events. I've not worn a yarmulke in other instances. And I, I make a little bit of a case by case judgment there. But I've, I've gotten a little a feel from your question. 
<laughs> oh, you just certainly you certainly have been thinking about it. It's not it's not like I feel, I don't feel like I've asked you that question, and now this is the first time in the in your life that you're thinking about no, that. No, I I think yeah. I'm probably overthinking it. Yeah, I feel like that's true. Yeah. <laughs> so, as an Orthodox Jew, do you feel there's a, a growing number of from authors in the mainstream? I have absolutely no idea. No idea. No idea. I I, I would say that it is my perception that Kidlet generally is working really hard to embrace diverse voices. And I, I guess I would say that, I, you know, I, I, I think and I would hope that that trickles down to at least a, a Jewish perspective, too. And I, I think I can point to specific examples of the happening. But but frankly, I don't know if I personally can speak to it as as someone other than an observer, because if you read it, Seventh Grade versus the Galaxy doesn't have a ton of Jewish content. There's bits of it because because I'm me, but but it doesn't center a Jewish experience. I'm not sure I'd feel comfortable representing it as some kind of uh, you know I'll put quotes on it like own voices type work because it's not right. It's really not. But again, I've run away with the question. So continue. So so that's what we're going to talk about. I was going to talk about the uh, hashtag own voices. That was my next question. So for those listening, can you explain what hashtag own voices or own voices is? Sure. Um, I will do my best. I think, well, in all arenas in our society or most of them, I think it it goes for the legal professional sphere as well as the kidlit author space. There is an effort to help improve representation. Um, in all things, right? We, we want men and women to, to work in the workplace with parity. And, and we want in fictional book type publication spaces, there to be fair representation of, of all kinds of people and all kinds of voices. I think, I, I'm not sure the justification for that even needs to be articulated, right? You know, p- people right. should have opportunities um, that they've been locked out of as a result of kind of institutionalized biases and, and gatekeeping exercises that, that, that aren't, aren't really appropriate. And also, we should be able to speak to, to kids in a way that reflects their experiences. And, and just in America, not everybody is, is like, looks like John Green. And, right. and, that, and, that, and that's, that's fine. Um, and that's, I think it's a, it's a good thing. Own Voices is a, is a subset of that idea um, and, and I believe what it represents is the notion that that stories, especially stories from the heart, should be should be told or we should at least aspire to tell them from the mouths of the people who lived them. Right. Um, which means that if you're going to endeavor to write the hate you give, you should be someone like Angie Thomas. If you if if you endeavor to write, you know, and I'll try and bring it back to our space, something maybe a little bit more universally applicable, or at least universally recognizable from from a, a Jewish perspective. If you're gonna if you're gonna write the chosen, you should be somebody like Chaim Potok, right? Right. Um, and th- and that there's there's almost something there's almost something untoward about writing even word for word the chosen. And being, say, a, a, a white evangelical Christian, right? Because, because inevitably, you can't quite get that experience right. Or even if you do, 
by leveraging the benefits of of not being marginalized in some way, you are you're boxing out people who could tell these stories from the inside. Um, and I think that roughly or maybe not roughly, maybe that's maybe that's a, a wordy way, but but that is own voices, I think. It sounds like you are definitely a heavy believer that there is room within the from community for an own voices uh, type of a situation for us. Uh, no question. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. There, I, there, there aren't, yeah. you, you mentioned the chosen, which I read in high school. Yeah. I, and I, I use the chosen as, as a, as it's, a, it's, an it's, example it's, that I think is widely recognizable. Right. A Jewish right. content right. book for maybe for children. Right. But there aren't a lot of them out there that write there, there are a few, all of Chaim Patak stuff, <laughs> basically that. But if, if you're writing today, like people who are out there listening, they are living today, I hope. That'd be very difficult if they weren't. But those people who are out there listening and they want to write a book and they're thinking about these different types of things and these themes and these motifs that might be specific to an audience, they might not be thinking about something that is specifically about Orthodox Jewry. And what I'm hearing you say is that that may not be the right thing to do. You may want to write about those things, about about your experience as an Orthodox Jew, about a story uh, that involves an Orthodox Jewish setting. Is that accurate? Um, I, I, I think I think it, it's accurate. If what you're trying to say is, is there room for an own voices Orthodox Jewish story? Absolutely. I, I'm I'm sure there is. Have I written it or written successfully? No. But but I will but I'll tell you I'll tell you the following. Um, I aspire to. It happens to be that seventh grade versus the galaxy, which is not that, is what got me through the doors. I've I've worked on and I'm and I'm trying to get right a, a story about an Orthodox Jewish kid, and and the feedback. Um, and and I'll, I'm just going to discuss the negative feedback because I think that's what sheds light on this issue. The feedback from people that I think are, you know, I could properly characterize as in the industry. They know what they're talking about. The feedback has never been, oh, this is too Jewish or, oh, this doesn't ring for people that aren't also Orthodox Jews. Because ultimately, you know, I think the goal of, of even an own voice of story is to tell a tale that reflects a very particular experience in such a way as is we all we all want to sell books, right? Widely right. accessible, right? And that's a tough balance to to strike. And I've never heard, you know, Josh. I think the perspective is too singular to work. I've heard, hey, Josh. I don't think think you quite have the voice right. Or, hey, Josh. I think the pacing is off. And all that's accurate. But that's the craft of writing. I've I've made friends um, along along this journey. So I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna like plug some of them for a specific reason. There, there's a great. I'm not sure she would characterize it as own voices. There's a great new middle grade novel called Midsummer's Mayhem by a friend of mine. Um, her name's Rajani Laraka. Rajani um, is, you know, her family is is Indian. It's a it's a book about. So I've got an, uh, a girl from an Indian family who enters a baking competition, and also there there are echoes of Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream. I don't know how to bake, and I'm not from an in, in Indian family. Um, but I find the book super compelling and, and delightful. And I think right. across the board, people do, right? The, the themes that are 
that are baked into so many middle grade, or I'll speak to middle grade because that's really what I know best. Middle grade stories about coming to terms with getting older, uh, about struggling with with your identity as distinct from that of your families, with with trying to push against the boundaries of of the limitations of child childs, like all that stuff, right? Whatever package it's in, can be compelling. Um, and I, I see no reason why that wouldn't be equally true um, for for an Orthodox Jewish perspective. I'll make an, I'll make another plug for another friend of mine's book. Um, the book is called All of Me. It's a middle grade novel in verse. the The writer's name is Chris Barron. So it's it's a book about a Jewish kid uh, in California um, who who's struggling with kind of the, the disintegration. Um, of his family while he's studying uh, for his bar mitzvah, essentially. And, and, um, and it's, it involves a lot of stuff that Chris went through um, himself as a kid. It's got body image themes. It's a really great book. It's not an, I don't think it's an orthodox Jewish book. Right. But it, but it leans heavy on a, lo- a lot of kind of those bar mitzvah-centric coming-of-age type themes. And the book is great. And you certainly don't have to be don't have to be Jewish to appreciate it. I, I know that that's the case. And, you know, I, I see no reason why all of that shouldn't be equally true for the specific perspective of an Orthodox Jewish kid. I agree with you 100%. And in fact, there's very few books that I've read where, let's say, I connect emotionally to the main character or any character, and I still was able to appreciate it. I read The Great Gatsby, for instance. Mm-hmm. I'm not a northern long island eccentric billionaire i'm not any of his relatives right i've never ran over somebody with a car by the way i apologize spoiler alert if you haven't read the book Uh by now but yet i still enjoyed it so in that frame of mind i'm able to transfer that over to a book that contains characters and themes that i'm not familiar with and still able to enjoy it absolutely i'm going to say something that i've said a number of times in the past in different settings. I'm sure you could like Google a blog interview or something that I did where, where I say something like this. And it's always in response to, to the following question. Hey, Josh, do you, think, do you think you have to like space to like seventh grade versus the galaxy? And, and my answer, and, I know, and, I, I, and I'm not meaning to, um, to, to trivialize the nature of this conversation by talking about like a wacky sci-fi book about kids lost in space, but I think the the idea is roughly similar, right? So Josh, do you have to like space like seventh grade versus the galaxy? My response is always, no, I really don't think so. I think it's a, I, I, I want to think that it's a fun book about kids having an adventure. I do not think you have to like British boarding schools to like Harry Potter. <laughs> you, you do not have to like Long Island summer camps to think Percy Jackson is a ton of fun. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, I think, I think roughly that idea tracks uh, across middle grade stories, whether they center your upbringing or not. All right. So let's talk about the book since we, it's a nice segue. Thank you for making that for me. Oh, sure. You're welcome. Personally, I love the book. I thought it was, it's it's definitely great for a sci-fi loving kid, sci-fi loving an adult. I got a lot of flashbacks to when I was reading actually uh, kind of a cross, I would say between a little bit of Harry Potter and a little bit of Ender's Game. Oh, you're so sweet. Like, you Thank throw, you so like, much. Kind of like mush them together. Uh, yeah, you know, I I would never, I wouldn't dare compare my 
seventh grade versus the galaxy to the the biblical harry potter um <laughs> but you're okay but with ender's yeah. game though um you're... well ender's <laughs> game has a mixed legacy the and, but yeah I, I i certainly endeavored to throw in a lot of the storytelling sci-fi fantasy tropes that i love and if that like rings of things you've read before it's a little bit on purpose right i recognize that that i'm not the first person to tell a story about 12 year olds involving a triumvirate um of the assertive kid and the nerdy kid and the kid who's self-conscious there are stories we tell that are compelling for a reason and and i like being able to visit and revisit some of the framings that might be familiar from other tales yes right. yeah i mean that's totally fair i don't think that anybody it's a wackier story than harry potter it is absolutely or, a wackier story well it's like the dark enders game yes well, well it's, it's aimed at a, a slightly younger audience than those books were i believe yeah i think that's true i mean harry potter goes from a somewhat light-hearted middle like middle grade story to a dark rumination on right. on but death I, and loss but you're able to do that because as the kids age, they age so up. did but so no did the readers. I know. We all like Harry Potter. It's not, there's nothing yeah. special about that. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned a little bit earlier that a little bit of the idea for the book. And I'm not going to – I don't really want to talk so much about plot except for one question, which I'll ask you later, because sure. I want people to read it. I'm not going to spoil anything here. I didn't want to like have a disclaimer. Oh, we're going to talk about the book now. So fast forward the interview about 15 minutes if you don't want to listen to it. But yeah. I, I don't want to spoil anything. But let's talk about the idea for the story. You mentioned earlier that you got a lot of inspiration from your class. But I want to know a little bit more if you could tell me about where the inspiration specifically came from. Also interesting – to know if any of the characters are based on somebody and if you don't want to give away something that might not be so flattering, you don't have to, but maybe a flattering character. Well, I'll, I'll say right off the bat, no, no single character is, is based on an actual real person. They're all kind of um, amalgamations of, of different kids that either I knew growing up or, or that I taught. But yeah, the inspiration or the flash of the inspiration uh, for, for the core of this story came while I was teaching because I always wanted to figure out how to tell a middle grade type adventure sci-fi fantasy story. And, and you know, I, I can't tell you exactly when the idea came to me, but, but I just, it was, it was a little bit of a feeling that was, oh, I should just tell a story about what this classroom feels like, right? What if... What if these kids, right, and their kind of bonkers personalities, but, but ultimately their resolve and flexibility in the face of, of challenges, what if, what if that reality was just cast in some adventure and everything else fell into place after that? You know, I, I love space stories. I always have. I feel very strongly about not classifying Star Wars as science fiction and and but that's a whole other podcast that we can talk that's, about that's true um but you know i've always been really compelled by those but by, by 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 like space operas and, and, and things like that but again I, I don't think you have to like that to like seventh grade versus the galaxy and so i just combined the idea of of that kind of uh, of an epic space adventure with with the grounded setting of a school without spoiling anything 
the story is about a bunch of kids that go to a school in space. Um, they, you know, they take tests, they have a principal, they, they're, they get kind of annoyed and bored sometimes. Um, and those kids go on an adventure and they have to find their way home. You know, I, I think there is something to, I, I don't know, I don't know if I adhere to it, but there's something to the argument that in any good story, the heart of the characters come first. And, and I certainly think it's true that for Seven Kids versus the Galaxy, for that story, what came first was the idea that, that the kinds of kids that populate the book were the kinds of kids I wanted to be on this path, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So, but it's a uh, wacky book, right? It's not a it is, It's definitely a wacky book. There's a lot of moments when you're, you're not sure if, if they're like in serious trouble or if this is just like how things happen on, in the planets that they find themselves on. Yeah. It, it definitely comes across like as more of a fun book. The characters' names are an interesting choice because they get kind of regular names, but you find out later on in the book that those are nicknames. But all the nicknames are based on, I guess, locations on planet Earth, but they're nicknames of those things that turn into regular names. So, so, so where did that come from? The names don't, you don't have to have some scheme for the names, but I really wanted one. And it's never, none of this is ever explicitly said in the book. You just have to infer it. But it is true that every or every human character, every every kid, every teacher, every human person that populates the story, their names follow the following scheme. They're called their first names are called some recognizable names. So the the the, the trio of protagonists are Jack, Becca, and Ari. But their full names, and again, this is just in my my head. It's never actually said. But their full names stem from some place back on earth that has some meaning to their family so so jack's full name is jacksonville ari's full name is arizona becca's full name is beckenham which is like a, a small i think subset of london um in in the uk the principal's name is jerry there is a jerry city ohio there's a teacher whose name is tina needle she's in in my mind her family's from argentina so those are all the first names and the kids in the story, um, it, as, as you find out basically right away. So the kids in the story are specifically they're going to a public school for kids whose families are live on Ganymede, which is one of Jupiter's moons. And so the humanity's populated the solar system. So they're a little bit far from Earth. So it's a way of being kind of nostalgic for the I guess the, the home planet. The right. last names and maybe you know this, maybe you don't. The last names are all taken from United States Supreme Court cases that have some thematic connection to the character. No, that I absolutely do not know. There's no, unless you like, again, I, I talk about- Unless you're a lawyer. Well, unless you're a lawyer, yes. I talk about it a little bit in some, in some interviews that ask a specific question. But, but yeah, it's never said in the book. There's no reason anyone reading it should figure it out. But it is true that every single last name is sourced from a US Supreme Court case that has some connection to the character. It's just for me because I'm a giant nerd in all things. <laughs> That's totally fine. And interestingly enough, Ari, whose full name is Arizona, mm -hmm. Ari is the Jewish character. He mentions his bar mitzvah and his name is Ari. Ari so, is a Jewish character, yeah. He had a bar mitzvah party. Um, I think it was Six Flags Io, which is another Jupiter moon. Interesting that Io is the one that gets the Six Flags. Those Ioians always get what they want. 
you know, I thought about which which one which one would have a of a Six Flags, but in my mind, Io is like a little bit more of a of an upscale recreational moon. <laughs> <laughs> that's where everybody has their summer summer homes on Aya. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to put on my book reviewer's hat for a second. Sure. Because the one pet peeve I have for sci-fi or fantasy books is if you introduce rules, you have to stick to the rules. Okay? And a, a lot of friends of mine who re- really, really are into fantasy make sure that that's the key thing. Let authors introduce a rule, you keep to the rule. I want to talk about Two rules, and and I hope this is not much of a spoiler, but in case it is, you have been warned, audience. The pencil. Yeah. And time travel. Sure. So let's talk about time travel, because that's one thing that every author inside in fantasy tries to, or most authors try to put in. So you have a pretty strict set of rules <laughs> where so far that I've seen, where your past influences your present. Or yeah, your present yeah. influences your future. Like you can have an effect. You can't go back and change what has happened. You can't go to the future. I'm not sure how that works. Actually, I don't think there was a future time travel aspect of this, but I guess that may be to come. Who knows? But I wanted to get your take on the time travel. Okay, I'll say a few things. One, my first thing is, thank you so much for asking me these questions. They're delightful. All I want to do is swim in this world. Um, <laughs> my, my preliminary reflection would be, one... I don't think of myself as writing hard, rule-based sci-fi. I really okay. don't. I think about the book not quite as much, but, but somewhat in the vein of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which is a bit more of a, of a loosey-goosey, and to borrow Doctor Who terminology, timey-wimey kind of tale. However, you know, I, I do, like you... When, when time travel is introduced, you're always so confused, right? Not to bring it back to Harry Potter, but everything is, is always brought back to Harry Potter. Um, I, I, think, I think J.K. once said that she had specifically the time turners and the ministry all destroyed in Order of right. the Phoenix because she didn't want to be beholden to the problems that, that inserting a time turner into Prisoner of Azkaban created for her plot-wise. And I totally get it. Um, and I wanted, as I said kind of earlier, I love sci-fi fantasy tropes. I really wanted to utilize time travel in some hopefully creative way. And so I did it in a setting that I thought was really restricted. And, and I included, and, I, and it's actually like um, we made like a poster out of it, a set of legalistic terms and conditions that apply to the usage <laughs> of this time travel. And it's re- they're really restrictive, the things you can or can't do. Actually, in my, in my mind, and I think it's pretty clear um, in the book, again, I don't think it's necessary to know this stuff or, or even think about it all that deeply, but in, in the book, the usage of this device is extremely regulated, like over-regulated yes. by some hyper-bureaucratic government, which is a little um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy reminiscent. And, and so there's not too much you can do Right. You, you can only use it in the confines of the specific setting. I, I don't want to spoil it too much. You right. can only use it to go back. You can only use it in, within a short period of time. You can't use it for very specific tasks. It, it's also like cost prohibitive. Um, it's yeah. So so I certainly one don't think I need to be beholden very strictly to, to what you're describing Two, uh, appreciate the question you're asking. But three 
tried to answer it in such a way as didn't hamper me in the future by always having available the option of using this thing to solve all the major problems in the story. Okay. That's a, that is a fair answer. I, 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 wanna, thought, I, wanna, that I is a very, a lot. I figured you don't just put that into a book and then not know what you're getting yourself into. Well, listen, which, I'm, a, I'm a lawyer. I tried to get those terms and conditions right. That's right. Which brings me to the pencil without giving too much away. The pencil is in my mind seems like a little bit of a convenient plot device. Sure. It's a, it's a, to, to, yeah, to be it's honest, a, it's basically a wand. It's a plot machine. Just like, just like the wand, just like, just like in, in Percy Jackson, the realization that, oh, like I, I, it looks like I need to solve this. I need to get through this door. And I, it, it turns out that I'm like the grandson of the door God. So, right. Great. I, I get it. No question. The pencil, which in the book is uh, basically a, a handheld advanced 3d printer that's basically what it is right yeah is a, is a way of getting the kids out of situations nevertheless there are rules associated with it um and, and you know i do i think about it a lot right so where where are the pencils who who has pencils on them what's the scale of the pencils like in, in the book as i'm sure you know most people have pencils that are really limited in utility only right. one person has a pencil that can be used with abandon. Yeah, I, I, I thought about it and I recognize that. And there are different levels of pencils, like certain pencils can create more authentic 3D printing machines, 3D right. printed objects. Yeah, um, you know, I, I, under, I understand it's a, it, well, your question about the pencils is very similar to your question about the time travel, right? How, yes. do, you, how do you introduce something powerful without it leveling the stakes at every turn uh and yeah it's a balance if you want to bring it back to harry potter yeah obviously the time turner is one thing but in harry potter there's also alohomora which in my mind why even have locks if like first year students could just learn a spell to unlock locks well yeah i mean you could you, <laughs> but then then, then you, there are you, rules created later on yeah there's there's rules for rules you can you, like Okay, so, so Dumbledore drinks the potion to access the fake locket in Half-Blood Prince, and then he's thirsty. Okay, so but Harry can't use Aguamenti to fill up the cup because it doesn't work. But, but like, so they have to dip the cup in the water. But, like, why couldn't Harry just, like, Aguamenti into Dumbledore's mouth? Like, why do I have, like, you, right. like, there's, okay, so there's, like, questions upon questions. Um, right. And, and, and let us not speak of, of the cursed child and, and the we, time I, travel implications there. We, we don't need to. Fine. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like your questions are valid. I think fan grumbles about these things and all these different worlds are valid. But it doesn't mean that we shouldn't try and utilize devices that help turn a key. Ah, nice way to bring that back. <laughs> all right. So I want to talk a little bit about your, your writing style. Uh, once you get an idea for a story... What's the process of getting the story onto paper in, I guess, more writer insider terms? Are you are you a, a pantser or a plotter? Oh, and you also, know the lingo. Also, you're going to have to explain to the audience what a pantser and a plotter are. Yeah. So, okay. Well, a plotter is what it sounds like. You you frame out a story, you outline it, and then and only then do you begin putting pen to paper kind of from, from A to Z and writing the story. A pantser just starts at the beginning, writes, and then goes back and kind of um, molds, molds the plot after the fact. I personally, I, I, I don't know, I feel, I feel like 
I shouldn't be embarrassed to say it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm probably more of a pantser than a plotter. That's not to say that I don't have the end in mind when I start, because I do, but I find it so valuable to just know the general arc of a story in my head, and I take it from there. And I have yet to sit down to write something. I, I, I generally get to where I'm going or where I set out to go, but I do it in a way that meanders differently from, from where I would have gone had I outlined. I, I can't stand the exercise of outlining. I also, I mean, I, I do think, I, I do think I'm, a, I'm a decent lawyer and I'm the same way when I write a brief. Uh, I'd much prefer to have a general sense of what I'm trying to do and, and not feel beholden to some outline I've put together because the exercise of crafting the language itself brings out, I think, an order of argumentation that I just can't quite get if I frame it out generally. Yeah, that's a, that makes sense to me. Whenever I, I do any public speaking, I generally just have bullet points. I want to hit this, hit this, hit this. The only thing I'll kind of write out is if I have a joke that has to be said specifically in the one right way. But uh, I hit points and then see where it takes you. I guess I'd be a pantser as well. Not that there's anything wrong with being a pantser. Not that there's anything, right, that's right. We're okay with plotters. Yeah. Um, how do you see yourself, your future as an author? I know you mentioned earlier that you really like children's lit, but you also mentioned that maybe you wanted to do an own voices story, potentially. Where do you see, do you want to stick to children's lit? Do you might want to change your genre? Do you want to stick to fiction? I definitely want to stick to fiction. Okay. And in the near term, I'm probably going to swim only in, in middle grade. A little bit of that is, is a function of the limitations on my time. I, I'm a full-time lawyer. I've got two little kids. Writing, by necessity, just doesn't come first a lot of the time. And that's okay. Right. And so, you know, if I had my way or I had the opportunity to write a lot and all sorts of things, then, then maybe I'd branch out a bit more. But I have to triage the time that I have available to myself. And, and that time is spent mostly in middle grade or exclusively really at the moment in middle grade. That doesn't mean that I don't, oh, I would love to, to write down one of my like shiny story ideas in, in YA or, or grown up fiction, but I do not have a ton of opportunity to do so. Okay. Excluding any author that we've already mentioned in this conversation, okay. because I think we can go through all of the people that we just talked about in sure. different answers. What authors do you like to read? What authors out there do you kind of style yourself after? It's a hard, it's a hard question. I think in the style myself after question, I can't use, well, we didn't mention, yeah, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to break your rules. Um, <laughs> in, in the style after question, I think, I, I think that I imagine seventh grade versus the galaxy to be more in the mold of, of Percy Jackson than Harry Potter. Again, I understand I'm breaking your rules twice. You also broke sentence. my rules by saying that Harry Potter is an author. Uh, you oh, broke well, two I know, rules. I, I know, <laughs> I know. Uh, yeah, that's true. That's true. So putting putting those aside, right? So I, right. I so I, I draw inspiration. I think for for this particular book, from the more lighthearted end of the like action adventure middle grade spectrum, books that I like to read. I read a lot of middle grade uh, just because I'm in that space and I, and I, I, I have friends that are writing middle grade and, and, I, and you know, we, we read each other's work and it's, and it's awesome. And I'm so glad to have the opportunity to do that. What I'm reading now, I mean, all sorts of things. I just finished the, the eighth book in the expand series, which is awesome. Um, so that's like hard space sci-fi. I read 
I read a lot of Star Wars novels. I, I always have. I read them as a kid. Uh, and they they were escapes for me then. They remain escapes for me now. I love the Star Wars world, and I will continue to read those novels as long as they make them. Um, <laughs> I, you know, if you were to ask me what my favorite, my favorite, favorite books are. If aside, talking, from, aside from Seventh Grade versus the Galaxy. Aside from Seventh Grade versus the Galaxy. Um, my all-time favorite book, and this is, I don't know if this is going to sound like I'm pandering given the, the context of the podcast. My all-time favorite book is As a Driven Leaf. Um, and, and I reread that one all the time. Wow. And it means a lot to me personally that I, I, you know, I think that that book is a, is a singular achievement. We can talk about why. Uh, well, I think we need a whole other podcast. We would. we would need a whole other podcast. So, so far on our other podcast, we're going to talk about the inconsistencies in Harry Potter. And as the driven leaf. <laughs> as the driven leaf, we're going to talk about why Star Wars is fantasy and not science fiction. That's right. Um, and yeah, so as a driven leaf, I, I also, I, I, books I also reread all the time are include um, Chuck Klosterman's pop culture I'm definitely um, not familiar with that. So it's nonfiction. They're short essays in the vein of David Foster Wallace, short nonfiction pieces. But Chuck Klosterman is awesome. And, and I think he, he takes pop culture and he mythologizes it in such a way as makes even the mundane um, appear meaningful. And I think it's a really... Um, has a really excellent body of work. So that's the answer to your question. All right. Uh, those are good answers. Those are actually good for me, especially someone who isn't familiar with all of those. Okay. Actually, except for As the Driven Leaf, I don't think I'm familiar with any of the other things that's, you mentioned. That's completely fine. I'm not so a that's good for me. Now I have a reading list. Uh, last question for you, Josh. Where can people find your work? Where can people find more, more about you? Well, you can find 7th Grade versus the Galaxy wherever, right? You can go on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and, fi and find it. Um, I'm sure you could, even if it's not in store, you could ask like your local um, bookstore and, and I have no doubt that they could get it. The, that's the only fiction I have out at the moment. Um, hopefully there will be more soon. You can find me mostly um, in the public space on Twitter, at Joshua S. Levy. Uh, I do have a, a long neglected website, joshuasimonlevy.com, that hopefully I will pay attention to properly shortly um but yeah find me on twitter and i would love to engage great josh thank you so much for joining us and uh hopefully we'll speak to you soon yeah thank you for having me my thanks to josh levy author of seventh grade versus the galaxy one additional note that we weren't able to cover during the original recording because it wasn't official yet is that the next book in the series has been announced. Eighth Grade vs. the Machines is set to hit shelves in the spring of 2021. If you have a child who doesn't really enjoy reading, I highly recommend that you have him or her give this series a try. As Josh mentioned, it's available wherever books are sold, and seriously, you can take him up on his offer to discuss his book on social media. He's waiting for your questions. And, as I mentioned at the start of the show, so are we. For now, Kolto. The Jewish Living Podcast is produced by Swirly Pikus. Our theme song is The Band by A.B. Rottenberg from Journeys 4. You can email the show at jewishlivingpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at jewish underscore living. 
The Jewish Living Podcast is recorded in conjunction with the Queen's Jewish Link.